If you'll remain standing at this time with me. And if you have a Bible, open to Matthew chapter 3. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 3. It'll be up on the screen if you don't have a Bible. Matthew is the last third of the Bible, so go to the middle and go right, and you'll find the book of Matthew. It's the first book in the New Testament, so it's a very, very important book. We begin a new series this morning looking at the life and the ministry of Jesus, and this is where it begins this morning for us. Matthew chapter 3, just reading verses 1 through 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he, in John the Baptist, who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. May God bless the reading of his word. Please be seated at this time. So this morning, we begin a brand new journey. I've seen many new faces, and so if you're here today, this is a good Sunday to come. Because we're starting a new journey, a sermon series leading up to Easter called Our King and His Kingdom. And we're just going to be looking simply at the life of Jesus and what it looks like to live in His kingdom here on earth. The good news is for many of us is that life is so much better than we often think and God has called us to so much more of a meaningful life than we often think or live. And I want to talk specifically this morning about how to live in God's kingdom today. That sound good? How to live in God's kingdom today. But before I dive into that, I, I wouldn't be right of me to, to not begin my sermon by acknowledging that I hear we have a new president. Have you heard about this? There's a new president in the White House, uh, a Mr. Donald Trump, a slight figure that we've heard of maybe a tad about over the past uh, year. And uh, man, I was reflecting this, uh, this week about everything that's happened. And um, thankfully, I'm, I'm a lot less into politics than I, I used to be. And so I'm a lot healthier than I, than I used to be. Um, but man, has this election and transition been contentious. Oh my goodness. I mean, I, I was watching the news this past weekend, and I mean, the division is just rampant. And we've got this country, and honestly, it feels like half the country is like super stoked about this. And they're like, yeah, we got a guy who represents us. And the other half of the country is like marching and protesting and really unhappy um, a lot of my friends I grew up with fall on different sides of the spectrum. And so like my Facebook and social media news feed is just full of like people who are either really upset or, or really happy. And I mean, I've, I've, been, I've seen a few election cycles, uh, I guess, at this point in my life. And I've never seen anything quite like this. And yet I was thinking about it, you know. I was like, why has this been so divisive? Like, like what is at the core of what's really happening here? And I found it ironic that I, I honestly think the reason why this has been so divisive and the reason why it's, it's got so many people spouting so many opinions and, and so many heartfelt convictions is because, ironically, we all agree on, on one thing, I think. Regardless of, of where you fall in politics, this election cycle shows that we all agree on one thing. And that one thing is this. It matters who's in charge. 
It matters who the president is. It matters who represents us. It matters who leads our household. It matters who's in charge. And yes, I believe like everyone else, I mean, I I believe that Jesus is king and he is reigning. And yet God has created leadership in our world. And it says that he appoints rulers, right? And everyone got so um, passionate about this election because if you like Donald Trump, we thought it's a good thing for him to be president because it matters that he's president. And if you don't like him, you were afraid of him. And so you didn't want him to become the president because it matters who is in charge. And yet the same thing is true for you, and if not even more true for you personally, that it matters who's in control and in charge of your life. You see, I want to talk about you this morning. I want to talk about your life. I want to talk about the life that you're living. I want to talk about the path that you're on. And I want to talk about who is leading your life and the everyday decisions that you're making. And you've got, um, you know, 5, 10, 20, however many years we have left. You've got years ahead of you, right? And, And you're looking out into that horizon. And the reality is this for your life. It matters who is in charge. And then there's this narrative in the culture that's a lie, okay? But, it, but it's the common thought of the day, right? And the common thought of the day is this. You are the king of your life. That John Wethington is the king of John Wethington's life. And that that's how it should be, right? That, that we control our destinies and that we should make our own decisions and that we should decide what direction our life goes and what we do and how we live. And... I'll be honest, right? It kind of, at first it sounds good to be the king, right? Who doesn't want to be the king? Okay, I mean, King John, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? You know, at least to me, maybe not to you, right? At first you're like, yeah, I'm the king, I'm the man, yeah, I'm, I'm making the decisions, I've got a destiny, I'm going, you know, I'm, I'm the king, I'm the man, and I make my own decisions. And yet here's the problem if you're the king, right? Upon further reflection, the problem is, is that if you're the king of your life, hey, guess what? You better be perfect, You better have no issues. Because how bad would it be if a corrupt king was leading your life? How bad would it be if a selfish and broken king were leading your life? This is why we care about politics and politicians. Because we're like, if someone's corrupt, it's bad for the nation. And so what about your life? If I'm in charge of my life and I've got sin and if I don't do things the right way and if I have issues, which... I definitely do. It's not good for me to be the king. Here's the other thing. If you're the king, you better be able to save yourself in times of trouble. If you're the king, you better not get in a moment of need in your life and have to cry out to somebody because, hey, you're the king, you know. If you want the authority, you have to assume the responsibility. You better be able in this life to create your own happiness, to create your own good. If you are the king of your life, if it stops with you, if you are in charge of your life and your destiny, you better be able to guide yourself to a much better future. But eventually we all have the realization that we don't want to be king. We're not good enough. You ever made a big mistake in your life? You ever been faced with a situation that you couldn't change your own power? You couldn't just like snap your fingers and it would be all better? You get to the point, every human does, it's part of the human condition where we realize that we we have some kind of authority in our life, but we need something greater. 
We do need something beyond ourselves because every human heart longs for the best, most abundant life. Every human wants happiness. Every human wants a good life. I know what you want. You want a good life with good things that goes a good direction, that ends up in a good place. I know that you want that. And deep down, you know you want a king to take you there. We long to flourish as people and flourish as a society. And this is what the gospel of Matthew is all about. And you are faced with a choice this morning to believe it or not. But the gospel of Matthew is a book that people have been reading for thousands of years and coming to the realization that there is a good king. There is a good king for your life and for mine, and his name is Jesus Christ. The king you long for exists, and the king that you long for wants to lead you in this life and bring you into his kingdom here on earth and for all eternity. It exists, it is real, we can take a hold of it. His name is Jesus Christ, and he invites us into this kingdom. Believe it or not, right, whether you like Donald Trump or not, whether he's a good president or a bad president, I guarantee you one thing, he will be a footnote in human history. And yet Jesus Christ is the reigning king, right? And if you're having trouble believing the gospel of Matthew on faith, look at human history. Look at what Jesus has done and look at the movement that he has led. And yet here is the thing, to enter into his kingdom. Here's the part that we often miss. We must ultimately prepare our hearts for King Jesus to come in and reign. Let's look at Matthew chapter 3 together, our text. Let's walk through this verse by verse. It says, In those days, John the Baptist. So in the Old Testament, right, it's a story of Israel following God and wanting to be redeemed. Israel was supposed to be God's chosen people. They were supposed to be a light to the world. They were supposed to be the redeeming force that God would use to redeem the world. And yet they kept failing. They kept sinning. They kept abandoning God. And yet God told them that he would send one. He would send a king. He would send an ultimate redeemer to lead humanity back into the fullness of life with God forever. And in the Old Testament, there was a prophet that was supposed to come, they said. And he was going to prepare the way for the king to come. And what our text says this morning is the gospel of Matthew is saying that John the Baptist was that person. And so it says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And the Bible, for some reason, really wants you to know that John the Baptist was like a dude's man, okay? I don't know why, but literally in Holy Scripture, it says um, he had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, okay? That's in the Bible, okay? And so we need to know this, I guess. He's got like a straight-up leather belt, okay? And once again, he didn't go down to like, you know, Palo Royal and buy that or Walmart. You know, he probably made it himself, you know? You couldn't buy stuff on Amazon back then, right? So the dude's like out in the wilderness, probably like killing stuff. It says his food was locusts and wild honey. How awesome is that, you know? Locusts and like wild honey, right? Not the stuff you get at Kroger, you know? Like he, 
he attacked that, that, that bee's nest himself, and he got it himself, you know, because he can do that. And so there's this dude that emerges, right? And he's like, you know, like, he's, he's coming in force, and he's like, prepare the way, for the kingdom is at hand. And so what he is saying is it's a, a new day. The atmosphere of human history is changing. The king is coming. And yet here is the reality that he talks about that we often forget. Because here's the thing. You want to grow in your life. You want to grow spiritually. I know you do. You want to be transformed. You want to grow in the likeness of Jesus. You want to live in all that God has created for you. But here's the problem that we often have. We don't prepare the way. What I really want you to understand this morning in terms of following Jesus and going hard after the kingdom of God in our lives today is that repentance prepares the way for Jesus to give us new life. Repentance prepares the way for Jesus to give us new life. Here's the idea. Repentance and the confession of sin and admitting that we have fallen short and asking for God's grace and mercy and actually doing it as a discipline, I think has gotten a bad rap in our culture. I think when most people think about repentance and confession of sin, like we, we envision like confessing our sins to like a, a pastor in like a dreary church building and feeling really bad about ourselves and depressed and it's like dark outside and it's raining and it's, we just think of repentance as like this dark and heavy and negative thing. And here's the reality. In the Bible, I don't really think it is that way. You see, the reality is sometimes things in life get the wrong connotation. Sometimes people get things wrong. Sometimes there's a misconception. Sometimes the polls are wrong. Have you, have you noticed that within the past year? Sometimes we get it wrong. Sometimes everyone's saying one thing and then Donald Trump's the president. That's how things go, right? Oh, there's no way everyone's saying stuff, you know, and then all of a sudden, what happens? Repentance is like this. Think about how amazing it is that you can change, that you can grow, that you can become better, that you can be forgiven of your failures and your past and your apathy, that, that your past does not have to be your prison. Think about how amazing that is, that who you've been in the past does not have to define your future. No matter how bad you've messed it up, no matter what you've done in your life, no matter what everything is that nobody knows about you, that you think if they only knew this about me, they wouldn't love me. I, I can't follow God because I'm a bad person. I've done these things. How amazing is it that we can be forgiven and transformed and made new in Christ? The idea that you can lay your life down and actually change is utterly amazing. But here's the thing, to follow Jesus in this life, to live in his kingdom, we have to repent. We have to confess our sins. We have to admit that we don't have it all together. We have to admit we've got issues in our life. We have to admit that we're selfish often. We have to prepare the way and lay everything down for Jesus to come in and reign because he will not share your heart with anything or anyone else. I... Uh, I don't know how you're doing in terms of your New Year's resolutions this year, um, but uh, this is like the third week in January, so this is about the, the time I feel like all of our resolutions start taking a nosedive into the ground, and uh, this is the time of the year when everyone's like, yeah, that gym membership was a bad idea. You know, I, I should have paid a lot of money up front, you know, 
And I don't know where you're at. Maybe you're, you're killing it this year. Maybe you set some goals and you're just new year, new you. You're totally doing a good job. Um, but the studies would say that most of you are failing. And, um, and I would be in that boat with you. I, I set two New Year's resolutions. Um, one I've actually done fairly well at. But I want to tell you about the one that's been a train wreck in my life the past three weeks, okay? So one of my goals for this year, uh, one of my New Year's resolutions, was I was literally going to read uh, one book a week. That's what I wanted to do, Okay. And uh, I could tell when everyone laughed when I said that, I was like, like, like maybe I should be concerned. But that was my goal. You know, I, I want to be a good father, a good Christian, a good husband, a good pastor. I want to do well at all this stuff. And so I thought, well, I guess the best thing to do is I can read a bunch of books, you know. Because, I mean, how amazing is it that you can read the best minds that have ever existed? In our day and age with books and technology, you can be mentored by the best of the best, we have the best information, the best access to everything. And so I'm like, hmm, I'm going to hop on that train. I'm going I'm to read and become real smart and read all the, the good people and all the things they've said. And I'm going to basically become a much better person. And yet here is the problem that I made. I made the fatal mistake of adding a massive commitment to my life and not removing things from my life that would actually enable me to do that. I read an article once that said the reason why most New Year's resolutions fail is not because we don't have good intentions. It's not because we don't want to do better. It's not because we don't want to grow, but ultimately because you have this goal, but we don't kill anything else in our life to make room for that goal. See, the problem was last year I was already busy, right? I've got a kid now. My life is totally different than it used to be. It's like night and day difference. I mean, I I am so busy. Even when I'm not busy, I just feel busy all the time, you know? And then I said, well, okay, so this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep everything in my life as it is, and I'm going to put this massive goal on top of my life. And what has happened is I've honestly probably read less this year than I read last year, okay? You see, the problem was I set a goal, but I did not prepare the way for it, so I failed in it. But the wonder of repentance in your life, it is the process of clearing the path for you to change. Repentance is simply confessing sin, admitting you don't have it together. And the aim of repentance is not to make you feel bad. The aim of repentance is to change you. The aim of repentance is to grow and to be transformed. The aim of repentance is to move you towards Jesus. And so often we avoid it because some of us, we like the hard teaching and the repentance piece. And some of us, we like the hope and, you know, feel good inspirational piece. And yet the reality is we need both of them. We need to realize our failures. But we also need to realize the amazing hope of King Jesus and what he can build us into when we follow him. If we follow Jesus, we can be an unstoppable force of love in this world. And yet the problem is, is that there are people that hear this message, and yet they think that it does not apply to them. If you look in our text in Matthew chapter 3, if you go on to verse 7, John the Baptist is, is baptizing people. They're, they're confessing they want to be a part of this new kingdom. They, they, they're not content with where they're at. They want to grow. They want to follow God. And people are being baptized, and yet there's some other people that begin to emerge. And, and John the Baptist doesn't like these people. It says in verse 7, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, 
Okay, he's mad, right? You brood of vipers, right? Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. So just to sum that up, like, really quickly for you and really simply. So he's baptizing people. People are, are preparing their lives to follow Jesus. And yet there's some very religious people who think they have it all together who begin coming. And some of them, it says, that they even want to get baptized. And yet John knows that these people are just doing this for the same reason they do everything else. They just want to be seen doing it, right? It's just an outward thing. And that's why he says, bear fruit. In your repentance. He says, don't just try to get baptized, right? He says, do things in your life that convey that you actually want to change and grow. And I think in our day that there's two types of Pharisees. And there's two types of people who who look at the message of Jesus and who look at the kingdom and they scoff. And ironically, one type of group is religious people who think they're better than everybody. Religious people who think they have it together. That they're moral, that God loves them more because they're more obedient. Because God supposedly loves us based upon our obedience. But the second type of person, and and, and maybe one of these is, is you today, are secular people who think they don't need a savior. They think maybe Jesus is for the needy people like you and me. But they don't need a savior. And they don't have any wrong in their life. And they don't have any sins. So they don't need to bother with those kinds of things and that kind of thinking. Because that's for the weak, needy people. And these people often think, well, if there is a heaven, then I'll go there in the end because I'm a good person. And yet they do exactly what John the Baptist speaks against when he says, do not presume. You see, ironically, if we think that we are good enough, I guarantee you, We also will look into the world and see people who are messed up and who have issues. And what that does in our lives is it's basically us saying, I'm better than them. I'm better than those people. There are people that don't deserve to be a part of the kingdom. And there are people like me who do deserve it. And yet what the Bible says, none of us deserve it. None of us deserve it. And there's this message in the world that if you're strong, that you're the one that succeeds. And yet in the kingdom of God, it is the humble that succeed. If you're here this morning and you say, I don't have it together and my life is spinning out of control and I don't know where I'm going and I'm not happy, guess what? You're a great candidate to follow Jesus. You're the kind of people that God is looking for. Scripture says the proud and the people who think they have it all together, that they will not inherit the kingdom of God. So therefore, if we do confess our sins, if we are humble, if we do want to follow Jesus and we're willing to let go of everything else, we repent. But I want to tell you why this morning. Here's the good news. You see, repentance prepares the way for God's all-consuming and good kingdom to come in our life and in our world. You see, we repent and we turn and we confess because there's a better life. There's a better way than we often choose. There's a good king who's perfect and who loves you and who created you. 
You are not meaningless in God's eyes. You are not insignificant. And you are not stuck in who you are. And you are not stuck in your sin. God has provided for you a way to let go of everything. He has graciously given us this opportunity in the gospel to lay everything down and to find something so much better. You see, Matthew 3 kind of destroys this notion that Jesus is just like this simple, nice, loving kind man, you know, walking around in a dress, you know, giving some inspirational quotes and, you know, petting lambs. I mean, it's like, like the Bible, like kind of shows this kind of harder version of Jesus. Like he's like perfectly loving and kind, but like, like I said, he's a dude, you know, he's, he's tough, right? He'll tell you like it is, you know, he's got a, he's got maybe the good quality of Donald Trump in him, right? Like he's, he's kind of a straight shooter. He doesn't beat around the bush. So Jesus emerges and he says that there is a good kingdom and it's coming into the world and yet you have to let go of everything else to be a part of this. Our baggage and our pride, all of our ethics, everything that we bring to the table, all of our awesome opinions we lay because something better and all-consuming is coming into the world. And here's the problem, I think. Many of us don't understand what the kingdom of God actually means, okay? Okay. I feel like in ages past, we've talked about heaven, which heaven and kingdom God are synonymous. We've, uh, we've talked about it as if, like, it's a place that we're going to go one day. You know, it's like, I'm going to, like, when I die, I'm going to, like, fly off to this place, you know, and I'm going to go to heaven. And yet, the actual biblical understanding of heaven is that God recreates this world. That there is a new heaven and a, and a new earth. And there is this kingdom that is emerging in the world. And yet the problem that we often have is we see kingdoms as in like, you know, like places. You know, like, well, there's China and there's Russia and here's America and there's Australia and, you know, there's Antarctica or whatever. Like, we, we view kingdoms like that, like plots of land. And yet in the Old Testament times, a kingdom essentially just meant where a king reigns, right? So, like, they didn't have, like, the balance of power like we have. You know, we live in a democracy where there's, like, you know, the president and the Congress and the, the House and all these different kinds of government. It's broken up into state and local and all this kind of stuff. But back then, there were kings. And if you were in charge in the Old Testament times, and if you were a king, if you were in control, then you had sole authority and power, And so when it said kingdom, what it really meant was the reign of God was coming into the world. That the world was broken, and yet the God that created it and that was going to redeem it was emerging into this world. And so essentially, the kingdom of God in our world today and forever will always be the place where God reigns fully. Where Jesus' glory and authority and way of life are fully demonstrated in complete fullness. And so the problem we often have, I think, is we kind of view Jesus as like our nice next door neighbor. You know, like it's, he's like the nice guy that we occasionally talk to and he gives us an encouraging word and checks in with us and we check in with him. He's kind of like a nice next door neighbor, you know. And yet the problem is, is it didn't say the RV of God was coming into the world. You know, it doesn't say like a, a nice little person. It's like the kingdom of God was emerging into this world. And so that word was meant to say, it's all-encompassing. And like it or not, God's perfect reign is literally taking over everything in the world. And so if you ask yourself, I want to be a part of the kingdom of God, this new thing happening in the world, how do I do that today? Here's the answer. You let Jesus Christ reign in your life. If Jesus Christ reigns in this church, 
then we are experiencing the kingdom of God. And there will be a day when the fullness comes, and there will be a day when God does away with all the wrong and all the evil and all the injustice. There will be that fullness. But for the time being, God is doing a redemptive work in our day. And where Jesus reigns, if, if he's in charge of my marriage, if I'm following him, then the kingdom of God is beautifully displaying itself in my marriage. And if in my relationships there is a sense of love for one another, powered by the Spirit, and not gossip, and not selfish ambition, then the kingdom of God is reigning in our relationships. But how do we do this? I want to give you one simple concept, because... I think, you know, we, I think a lot of us know in a lot of ways some of the things we should be doing or should not be doing, the things we should be laying down. But, but here's the main idea I really want you to take for application. Like if you could change your mindset in this way, I think it would change your life. And it's that we need to let Jesus be our king and not just our coach. I think a lot of the ways that we view God in our world today is he's a coach. And coaches are, are great things. I grew up playing sports and I had a lot of really great coaches. And yet a coach is someone who kind of is with you for a certain season of your life and coaches a certain sport. And a coach gives you like kind of some good insight and kind of helps craft your game and tries to make you the best player that you can be. But at the end of the day, you go onto the field and you do your thing. The coach coaches you, but you play the game ultimately. And at the end of the day, you have all the authority to make all your decisions. And I think the problem that we have is we often view Jesus like he's our coach. He's kind of on the sidelines, kind of cheering us on, you know, and, and said, hey, you know, maybe, you know, I mean, keep your stance like this a little bit more, you know. He's kind of over there, and, he, and we're like, no, I don't want to do that, Jesus. He's like, okay, 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 sorry, you know. And like that, I feel like that's how we kind of like see Jesus often, you know. It's like, no, Jesus, that's too hard. I don't want to live my life and not gossip, you know, like, kind of feels good, you know. It's like, oh, I don't know about that, Jesus. That, that's, that's, kind of, that's kind of very different than the way everyone else does it around me. I don't know if I can do that one. I'll, I'll do this other thing you told me, but, but maybe not that one. You see, the reality we have to ask ourselves this morning is that is Jesus our king who has all authority, who we are following out of a reverence for his majesty? You see, the entire Gospel of Matthew tells the same story over and over and over again. And we're going to look at it for the next 11 weeks. And it is that Jesus is a good king with a good kingdom. And Jesus loves us. And Jesus is true life. And that we can trust this king because in the end, in the Gospel of Matthew, I'll kind of give the story away right now. The king dies for you on the cross, sinless, but pays the penalty for your sin. You see, that's the other way we often don't understand what a kingdom is. When we think of kingdoms and leaders, we think of people who use us and who abuse us. Some of our resistance to Jesus isn't Jesus' fault, but some of the bad experiences we've had with the leaders in our lives, the people who wouldn't die for us, but the people who used us. This is an amazing story that God emerges into the world, that he was called Jesus, that he brought his perfect kingdom that we could enjoy into this world, and that he looked at you with mercy and with grace 
and said, I will pay for your sins because somebody has to. All you need to do is repent and let it go, and I will take it from there. One of the things I challenge people to do often, and I reference this pretty regularly, because people are like, I don't know, John, can I, can I really trust this? Like, how do, I, how do I know that Jesus is the good king? How do I know? I mean, there's, there's a lot of good voices out there. and How, how do I break it down? And what I want to encourage you maybe to do, if, if you're having that kind of a, a question, is to like straight up go old school, get a piece of paper out this week, and make like a T-chart. Remember T-charts back in the day? Remember T-charts? It's like, yeah, there's like a line, another line up here, and there's like, there's like two like headings, right? And then you write things under it, you know? I learned a thing back in the day. I think that was like fourth grade, you know, we learned how to make a T-chart, you know? But make a T-chart, and at the top of one put Jesus, and at the other side put not Jesus, and make a list of every problem in your life. This is actually super therapeutic, just FYI, right? Sometimes it's good to just get that stuff out, you know? Make a list of all the garbage in your life, all the things that aren't going well, all the things that you're not happy about, all the areas of your life that are not going well. I mean, write it. I mean, maybe it's, maybe it's marriage, maybe it's raising your kids, maybe it's parenting, maybe it's work, maybe it's home life, maybe it's um, your, your calling in life. Maybe you're struggling in the parts of your life where no one is watching, you feel enslaved to certain sin. Maybe we're not happy about the things we give our time to. Maybe, maybe we're anxious in life. Maybe we're depressed. Make a list of all of the things and then just go on the T-chart, literally, and put like, so I'm, I'm anxious, right? Is that because I'm following Jesus or because I'm not following Jesus? And the reality is in Matthew 6, it says, Do not be anxious. Seek the kingdom and all these things will be added unto you. Well, that's not Jesus' fault. Is my marriage falling apart because we're just serving each other too much like Christ? Well, that's not the problem. Not Jesus. I'm broke because I keep buying stuff I don't need. That ain't Jesus' fault. And you will go down every single area of your life and you will find that the problems that you face are the places where the kingdom of God is not yet come. That the part of our life that fall apart, that don't go well, are the places in which Jesus is not yet reigning because we have not repented of those areas in order for him, for us to prepare the way for him to come in and reign. And additionally, may we, the church, be an epicenter. Beyond our personal lives, may we be this epicenter where the kingdom reigns. May White Oak be a place where they look and they say they don't gossip there. We don't overlook the homeless at that place. We don't waste our money. We don't give up on marriages. We don't see kids as a burden but a blessing. We don't isolate ourselves, but we live in community. We're not content with staying the same. We want to grow in the image of Jesus. In the places where we allow Jesus to reign, his kingdom will come and dwell there, and it will be a light for all the world to see. But he's got to be your king and not just your coach. As we draw to a close, I want to leave you with um, one profound thought. And this is honestly, I think, a thought that probably we could wake up every single morning 
and recite this to ourselves, and we would be so much better for it. And it's this idea that you were not created to walk alone, but that you were created to daily walk with the king. You see, Genesis tells the story where God creates the world and humanity. You can go read it. It's the first book of the Bible. God creates the world and humanity, creates Adam and Eve, and he puts them in the garden and he gives them guidance. He says, don't do this one thing. And gives them this abundance of life and things to do. And I guess for a moment God was their king, but the problem was eventually they ignored God. And they began trying to play king. And what they missed was that they were created ultimately to walk with God. It says he was walking with them in the beginning. He was present among them. But then they disobey and sin enters the world. And all of a sudden there's this distance between God. You see, if you feel distance, then often that's because we're not walking with him in holiness as we should and I was thinking of an image that I saw a couple months ago that I thought really helped drive this home for me. I was going for a run in my neighborhood, and as I was um, finished with my run, I was walking back exhausted. Um, I came up on this kind of cliche site that you've probably seen before, maybe you've experienced before, where it was this dad who was helping his daughter obviously ride her bike for the first time. And it was this beautiful image. Because you could tell that this father loved his daughter so much and wanted to help her and wanted to guide her. And and he knew she wasn't very good and, and, and he knew she wasn't ready to do it on her own quite yet. And so he's like hovering, he's like doing helicopter parent with her, right? And he's, he's watching, he's helping her, you know? And yet her reaction was the whole time she was just so annoyed by her dad, right? And she kept saying, Dad, I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it. Over and over again, you know, just like kind of like pushing him off, like not liking it. And, he, and he's trying to help her, but, you know, she keeps insisting, I don't need you. I can do this on my own. And so what happens is eventually the, he's, he's trying to help her ride again. And she does the classic kind of kicks him off or whatever, you know. And he kind of steps back and she begins to go on her own. And what do you think happens? She just eats it into the concrete. I mean, just actually really bad. I, I, I kind of stopped for a minute to see if I needed like the help or something. It was really, really bad. And yet it was so cool because as she falls and hurts herself, who's the first person to show up? Her father. The one that she kicked away is literally the one that shows up to save her. And church, that's the story of the gospel. You see, God created us to walk with him. And so often in our lives, we say, God, I've got it. I don't need you. I don't need your ethics. I don't need your guidance. I don't really need prayer. I don't need the scriptures. I can just live my life and I can figure out all on my own. I've got it. And then we eat it in life. Straight into the concrete. We are bruised and bleeding and broken. And the story of the gospel of Matthew 
is that the first person to show up, the one that emerges from heaven into earth, is God himself. The one that we kicked away in the garden is the first responder who says, I'm here to save you. That we were created to live in the kingdom and that we wandered and the king got off this throne, left the palace and came looking for you. That's the kind of king that we have in this life. God came into your story. My challenge to you this morning is that if there's an area of your life, or maybe it's your whole life, if you're not walking with the king, repent of that, prepare the way, and invite the kingdom to come in that broken, messed up place And let's see how it turns out. In the words of Donald Trump, what do you got to lose, right? You see, Jesus wants to come into your life, into every part of your life. He wants to reign and he wants to guide you. And that's what the gospel of Matthew is all about. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for, God, another Sunday just to stand before you and just to once again invite your newness into our life. God, when we come back to you, when we repent and turn to you, you don't rub our face in it. You just say, I'm so glad you're home. Let's remake you. I pray for those who are humble enough this morning to say, I don't have it together. I pray, God, that we would turn to you in this place. And I pray that we would invite your wholeness and your love to remake us. I pray, God, that today we would prepare the way in our hearts for you to come and for you to reign and for your life to emerge supreme in us. I pray all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.